Our scripture reading is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. This is the word of God. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Uh, one more time. Good morning. One more time. Just look around you and say hello to one another. Look in their eyes as they look in your eyes. See joy in their eyes, I hope. Uh, praise God that he's gathered us here together again. You know, it's one of those things when we just continue to show up before the Lord. Just show up to him. Whether it's our own time with the Lord, whether it's gathering together in groups of two or two or three, or whether it's Sundays as we gather together, just showing up and knowing that we are doing what we can to draw near to the Lord, knowing that as we do so, that he will draw near to us. God has given us all the faith in him that all we need to do is exercise just that small faith that we have, many of us. Take that step closer to the Lord, and the Lord indeed will reveal himself to you. Now the Lord is wiser than all of us, and the Lord chooses to reveal himself through his word, through our prayers, through our community. He chooses to reveal himself according to his wisdom and according to what we need as individuals, what we need as a community to see him and know him. We trust in his wisdom and his love alone. So I encourage all of you, welcome here. God will meet us here. I want to say to all of you, that the Lord himself will hear our hearts. And I want to say to all of you, listen well to the Lord. Listen to him, that you may be encouraged and strengthened in hope and in love. As we continue our series on Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonia, we see that Paul continues to address some issues that are going on. 
Now, remember, Paul loves this church. And Paul's heart is immense for this church. He knows all the difficulties. He knows all the questions. But Paul sees in the members of this church in Thessalonia the Spirit working. For who else could declare Jesus Christ as Lord without the Holy Spirit working in them? Who else, when they receive the Word of God, receive it as the very Word of God with power and not simply a lecture that they may hear in the town square? Paul is encouraged by the way that they love one another, not perfectly, but with the Spirit. How they're able to communicate, forgive, rebuke, encourage. How they're able to laugh, perhaps, knowing that God himself is doing this work in them. Paul's basis of of charging the church and of teaching this church is based upon the work of the Spirit. And even Paul's love for the church is not from him, but it's from God's Spirit as well. It's that unity in him that makes the church in Thessalonia and all churches different, extraordinarily different, miraculously different from any other gathering this world has to offer, from any other support group that this world has to offer. Because our hope is in God. Last week we saw that Paul was encouraging them to to live a holy life because God is working in you. That each one of you should learn how to control their body in such a way that honors the Lord. The body that God has given you is not meant for immorality, but it's meant to honor God. We do not separate our inner self or our hearts from our physical self, from our bodies. Everything works together because God has created all things. We are not like some of the philosophers of old, those Greek philosophers, who saw the body as simply evil and the soul, the inner soul, as the only thing that's good. And so therefore we can do anything with the body that we want to because the body will be thrown away. But we see that everything as a whole has been given by the Lord. And just as we have to learn to, to, to um, control our hearts and to, and to give our hearts to the Lord, that we may bear fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. In the same way that we, we learn to control our hearts and our emotions, we learn to control our bodies, which is all linked together. And with each season, as you grow as a man, as a woman, you learn to control your body in different ways but all honoring to the Lord and knowing that the Lord himself is honored when you use your bodies in such a way as intended. God also, Paul also says to the church in Thessalonica, listen, the work that you have that I've given you, work hard, work well, do not be idle. Do not get into frivolous arguments Do not make trouble when no trouble needs to be made. 
but be quiet. And what he means by be quiet is do what is in front of you. Do what is required of you. Do what is just. Do what is honoring to the Lord and honoring to the work that you have. When he says work with your hands well, it, it, you know, I, I wish that that simply meant that everyone needs to be a carpenter, everyone needs to be a plumber, everyone needs to be an electrician, everyone needs to be a mechanic, and if that's you, I need help at my house. But it basically means don't be idle with your hands. Don't be idle with your time. God has given you all of this to be productive in such a way that honors him. We know that when we plunge into video games, we plunge into Netflix, we plunge into those things. Every once in a while, as, as, as a time where we are trying to rest, it's okay. But you know, your friends know, your family knows, when it's simply becoming idle time, and the time of idolatry as well. Now all these things you learn all these things, we, we, we strive to live a holy life. But again, on the basis of how God has already loved you, Paul is not wagging his finger at you. Paul is just saying, listen, you are saved by the Lord. You can do this. You can honor God. And in honoring God, you will see even more God's love for you. So move forward towards the Lord. Move forward in your ethics. Move forward in all that you do. And as you have already loved each other, as Paul says, love each other more and more. Keep doing it. Keep moving forward. Because the power of God is already in work with you. That's the last four weeks. I'll, I'll summarize right there. Paul goes on now in, in our passage today to talk a little bit more theologically, but also very practically. This church that he had just, um, just planted, this church that has been on his heart, that he sent Timothy to, to check up on them. He realizes that in, 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 the, uh, in life itself, that there will be people who pass away. People who die. And there was a real question of what happens in death, even when you were Jewish. What happens in the Old Testament when you pass away? Where do these people go? What happens? And this church itself was asking the same question. Listen, there are people in our congregation who have, as they put it here, fallen asleep. They're no longer with us. How do we as Christians deal with this? How do we as Christians, we who have hope in God, encourage one another in death? How do we ourselves process that information? Many of us here today, because you're all older now, have gone to funerals. And you have seen how different individuals grieve. And you have seen how difficult it can be. And it is. 
death was never meant to be the normal. And that is why every fiber of our being is repulsed by death. But death occurs because of sin. And death still occurs even amongst the community of believers. And so Paul addresses this question. What happens? What happens to those who have fallen asleep? There are several things here to, to sit on and to explore. First, we know that those who have fallen asleep are with the Lord in heaven. In Philippians, it talks up, Paul talks about the fact that he wished he could be with the Lord in heaven with the Lord, but that it would be better for him to stay because he needs to minister. He needs to complete his work that is here, but it's far better to be in heaven with Jesus than it is here to be on earth fighting, being persecuted, and having the difficulties. But Paul recounts how that for those who have passed away, who are asleep, they are in heaven with the Lord. They are in a place where there is, at this point, no weeping, no tears. They are in a place where they see Jesus face to face and have complete, complete fellowship with him. We know in heaven right now that they are there in spirit. Their inner self is with the Lord. Their soul, however you want to call it, Scripture describes it different ways. Soul, spirit, um, but we simply say the inner self, whatever makes us who we are on the inside. It's with the Lord. And it's with rejoicing with God. We see glimpses of this in Scripture. Do you remember when, when Jesus and Peter and, 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 uh, and John, they, they go up to the mountainside and they see Moses and Elijah come down and Jesus is transfigured and they decide to build Booster a home or a place where, 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 they, can, where can, they can come live and they can come visit. But we see Elijah and Moses come down in their spirit as they, as they meet Jesus. And as they are, in, and, and, the, and the disciples, the two disciples are encouraged by seeing Moses and Elijah, knowing that these people haven't simply passed away, knowing that these people simply did, aren't simply annihilated or disappeared. But Moses exists as Moses, Elijah exists as Elijah. And so for those who have passed away, they exist as they are. They are not simply one drop in some sea of being. Their personalities are not disintegrated, but they are still there. And we rejoice in knowing that they're with the Lord in heaven and their spirits are enjoying the fellowship of God. 
we call this the intermediate state, theologically. The intermediate state. We, we call this, well, for many of us, we call this heaven. When our spirits are with the Lord. But that's not the end. That's not the end of what happens to us as beings. And so what Paul here writes to the church in Thessalonia, it's not, it's, it's not really about sort of where they are now, but it's about hope in the future. To see what the future of history and how it's going to culminate for us to look beyond and see what the Lord will actually do at the end of all end times. And to know that those who believe in the Lord will take part in that end. And that part in that end will give us the fullness of what God intended when he first created us in Genesis chapter 1. God himself has an endpoint of history, which is his glory. This is beautiful in and of itself because it means that if all of us who believe in the Lord will have the same end of being with God forever and ever worshiping him, if we ourselves will be at that finish line together at the end, it means that all that we do here in this life, everything that we do in this life matters less and matters more at the same time. It matters less in the sense that you do not need to define yourself by what happens in this world. You do not need to define yourself by whatever lot the Lord has given you. You do not have to define yourself by whatever time period you were born, whatever ethnicity, whatever gender you were born. Things matter less because you know that in the end, it is your relationship with the Lord and His love for you. That is who you are. And there's a joy in knowing that I do not have to worry about whatever lot the Lord has given me here. But things also matter more because it means that all that you do now is in reference to what God has given you. Our perspective changes. Why was I born in this period of age, in this period of time? I know you guys all have that thought because you have plenty of time to think in this world today. You've all had that time when you're driving in the car or mostly when you're falling asleep and you wonder, why was I born in the 20th, 21st, 20th century or 20, yeah, 20th century for most of you. Some of you, yeah, 20th century. Why was I born in the 20th century? Why was I raised here in the, in the U.S. of A? Why was I given the opportunities that I have today? And as you look and you, and you think about those things, you see that as a gift from the Lord that I need to steward and steward in such a way that honors Him. And all the things that you're able to do, your families that the Lord has given you, your work that the Lord has given you, 
You serve and you love and you cultivate with joy. For God is the one who authored all that for you. So knowing that we're all going to the same place at the same time, we put all things into perspective of who we are and what the Lord has given us. Because in the end, we'll all be together with the Lord. Now Paul does something that's very encouraging and also very um, um, uh, um, tactile is not the right word for it, but something that we can all see and understand. He doesn't sort of give us sort of a theoretical of, of how it is that the Lord will return. But he tells us exactly what is going to happen. You see, he says that Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven is a paradigm of what's going to happen to all of us. We know that Jesus is right now at the right hand of God. And this is one of these mysteries that I'm not sure exactly how this works out. But I said to you, right, God is in heaven. Well, God, well, God is in heaven. Those who have fallen asleep are in heaven with, the, with their spiritual selves. But Jesus is also present in heaven. But Jesus is present with his glorified body. So somehow in heaven, Jesus is running around with his body but he's still God himself. And everyone there who has fallen asleep looks and gazes upon Jesus in his glorified state. And they're waiting. They're waiting for the day when God will consummate all of history. How is it going to occur? First, those who have fallen asleep asleep those who have fallen asleep will be awakened first we will see them as they are awakened and see that the Lord's final days are coming are here actually now I've got to address this because we know that back in the middle ages and back even before then that when people passed away in the Christian world, they, they, they had their bodies buried. And it was very important to preserve the bodies for, for early Christians because they believed the resurrection was soon. So if the resurrection was soon, they believed that we need to keep the body intact so the body would be prepared to resurrect. You know, and, and sort of the better condition that the body would be in, for some reason they thought that you know, we, the better, we, we need to steward this so that the, the, the body in its glorified state would, would, be, would be prepared and ready to look like the, the way it should look like. And even until sort of, I, I would say, um, in the early, um, late 20th century, uh, every Christian that I know would find a burial and bury their bodies. And it was for that reason. But things have shifted today. Uh, we, we see more and more people going to cremation and cremating their bodies and having the urn and, and putting it away. And there are some Christians who actually believe that that's, um, that's not right. That we should honor the body. That if we cremate the body, 
then we are dishonoring God of what he wants in the resurrection. We have to keep it intact for the resurrection. But I want to tell you, and from my reading of Scripture, I don't think there's a necessary for us to have to actually bury the whole body. Christ's resurrection power, you will get a new body no matter what. How that body is buried, or what happens to that body, It's not a deposit to sort of what type of body you'll upgrade to. But it's Christian liberty of how you and your loved ones would like your body to be interned. Now the reason why some people, now there are reasons why people will bury their bodies. It's more apologetic. They don't want to be seen by other religions, we Christians don't want to be seen by other religions as sort of kowtowing to their funeral rites. But I tell you, as long as Christ is center, as long as the Lord is the center of why we died and how we'll rise again, it's okay. We honor him. But think of it. Those who are asleep at the coming will rise first. And then those who are left alive will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And together we will see the sea of all those who have come to know Christ together with him. This is the vision that Paul is sharing with the church to encourage them. What great encouragement to know that one day we will see all of these saints together. And to know that the goal of our lives will be met in being with Christ forever. Lastly, we know that when Jesus returns, he will return and he will bring down the new heavens and the new earth. And this new heaven and new earth will look something like we have today. You see that the physical body was not ever meant to be looked upon as evil. But the physicality of the world was meant to be looked at as good. By analogy, that's all we have. In the glorified, perfected state, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It will look; our bodies will look something like this. The created world will look something like this. We will live in eternity, but also have 
little bit of time space as well because we'll be worshiping God and moving forward towards God. And it'll look something like this. But it'll be so beautiful and so perfected that it's something that you and I can never imagine. But we know that God has promised it to us. Your years here on this earth are short, brothers and sisters. Time goes fast. When I look at some of you here who are parents already, I'm like, oh my goodness, time goes so fast. Some of you who are married, time goes so fast. For those of you in college, your parents look at you and go, time goes too fast. Believe me, college will be over just like that. Med school will be over. What if you're doing med school, will be over just like that. Before you know it, you'll be 30, 40, 50. Before you know it, little kids will look at you and go, who is that old person? Before you know it, kids will look at you as college students and go, wow, these college students are so big. Because I remember that. <laughs> college students seemed old to me when I was a little kid. And if we can measure the life, your life is simply an infinite string. The length of your life is an infinite string. The life that you live here is but a small piece, an important piece, though. For here is where you meet God. Here is where God has come to meet you. The church in Thessalonia needed encouragement. They needed to know that life did not end, does not end here. That they're simply asleep. And that the Lord return and bestow upon us eternal life forever and ever. May that bring you hope. May that give you perspective on all things, your decisions. May that give you joy and freedom. May that give you a lightheartedness, lots of laughter. But also, may that give you a gravity, a solidity in your being so that everyone knows, and even you yourself know, that you belong to Him. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that when you return, all the world will know it. All the world will know it. For some, it's a time of fear because there will be judgment. But for us who know you, it'll be a time of celebration. For we know, Lord, that we will be granted 
what our hearts desire. And what our hearts desire is you. To see you, to know you, to worship you, to be in your presence. To be able to tell and to recite, to tell our brothers and sisters freely that Jesus is Lord. And Lord, we know that we have all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, Lord. To continue to grow to love you. And so, Lord, I pray, we pray, Lord, that you would grant CCPC peace. That you would grant us a hope. That you help us, Lord, to simply be good stewards with what is before us. Not to worry about tomorrow, not to worry about next year, not to worry about five years from now or ten years from now, not to worry about any of those things, Lord God, but to simply be faithful to you today. To do what is right in your eyes today. For we know, Lord, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So, Lord, in our works, in our studies, in our families, Give us joy in knowing that this has been given to us. Give us the knowledge in knowing that whatever challenges may come within those things, those are given to us and you are there, that there is no temptation by which we will, that you do not give us a way out, but that we can honor you and grow in you. So bless this church. Bless my brothers and sisters. Bless all of us, Lord God. And help CCPC be a church of joy and laughter. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.